Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Miller. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. It's the holiday season, and like most of you, I've been very busy this month trying to get everything together and wrap up the year in our practice and a lot of things going on with our family, holiday parties, uh, nutcracker ballet performances, all of the above. So it's been a very busy month, but I'm excited to bring you today's interview with Dr. Robert Pete Pickron. Dr. Pickron is a true pioneer in the orthodontic space who really I think brought a lot of uh, the kind of customer service and patient-friendly policies and things that we take for granted today really to the forefront, and you're going to learn about that today in this interview. Dr. Pickron prepared extremely well for the interview, and we had a couple of technical difficulties, which is why this episode is actually going out a week later than planned, but I'm very excited for you to tune in and listen to this after a quick word from one of the sponsors of the podcast. This episode of the Elevate Orthodontics podcast is sponsored by the Aligner Intensive Fellowship Course, where together we will accomplish something greater. For orthodontists only, this course taught by Drs. Maz Mushiri and me, Jonathan Nikosesis, is a comprehensive four-month online course where you learn all things aligner therapy, from biomechanic principles to logistical systems for seamless office integration and the economics of more aligners in your practice. Think of it as a 12-chapter online dynamic textbook where the content is broken down in videos posted throughout each week, and you are able to ask questions in real time in a virtual classroom setting from the convenience of your own home or office on your own computer or cell phone without having to travel. With the ability of applying the course content to any aligner system or in-office solution of your choosing, the Aligner Intensive Fellowship is where together we will certainly accomplish something greater. Dr. Robert Pete Pickron was born in Tampa, Florida, and attended the University of Florida, Emory University School of Dentistry, and the University of Alabama for his orthodontic training. Graduating in 1967 at the age of 26, he established a practice in Atlanta, Georgia, with 1,500 square feet and three chairs. He expanded after five years to an eight-chair clinic. His practice continued to expand, and he opened a satellite practice in Lilburn, Georgia, with 10 chairs. Direct advertising was frowned upon by the dental community at the time, but Dr. Pickron found a new and untapped source of ready and easy-to-treat cases. He continued to expand in the Atlanta area, utilizing dental offices. He utilized local dentists and recent graduate orthodontists to assist him and tried to maintain control of the treatment by personally seeing the patients every third visit. His childhood association with Dr. Gaspar Lazar created an opportunity to set up a practice in the PEDO office in their hometown of Tampa, Florida in 1980. Advertising a lower fee along with no down payment created an opportunity to access an untapped segment of the population that was not included in the orthodontic patient population at the time. Practices exploded in both Atlanta and Tampa, and soon money was available to expand into both markets. Full-service dental centers were opened in regional malls in 1982. 17 dental centers on the west coast of Florida and five in Atlanta soon followed. In 1987, with the birth of another son and the adoption of a daughter, Dr. Pickron decided to focus only in Atlanta. His practice continued to grow in size and coverage. He noted the success of Orthodontic Centers of America in 1994 by Dr. Lazara and in 1997 decided to put together a roll-up of successful orthodontists into a public company 
to be known as OrthAlliance. The company consisted of 55 founding orthodontists in 140 offices in 16 states and was eventually listed on the NASDAQ. OrthAlliance merged with Orthodontic Centers of America in 2003. Dr. Pickron purchased his practice from OCA in 2005 and continued to expand in Atlanta, eventually having 23 locations and 10 associate orthodontists with revenues of $15 million. In 2011, at the age of 70, he sold Pickron Orthodontic Care to a private equity group and retired. He spends his time consulting and fishing, maintaining a home in Atlanta and Key Largo, Florida, and he is also an adjunct instructor at the Georgia School of Orthodontics. Dr. Pickron, welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. Thank you so much, Lance. It's nice to be with you. It's nice to be with you. Uh, we, we had a chance to talk a little bit before about uh, Atlanta sports. And uh, I know, you know, I'm up here in, in New England. And so that, that must have been a, a hard day for you guys as you guys must have been. I think you probably were more devastated than we were happy. I continue to be devastated by it. <laughs> I'm totally affected by it now. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Well, we're going to talk today. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Um, you know, as someone who's got a lot of experience in the field and who's been able to practice in a lot of different uh, models, tell us a little bit about um, kind of the beginning of your career in orthodontics, uh, kind of how you got started and how you decided to transition into some of these different practice models. Okay. Well, um, Basically, back in 1967, the dentist was the gatekeeper, and communication was by phone and typed letter. Uh, postgraduate education was difficult to find and to attend, and we had a physical appointment book, no computers, monthly visits for adjustments and payment, and we billed by mail and took checks and cash at the front desk. The charts, physical charts, held everything about the patient. We had uh, x-ray films in a dark room. You don't see that anymore. That's right. We had no gloves. We had minimal sterilization until, until 1980. And space had to be created in order to fit bands on every tooth, a painful and time-consuming two-hour process. We did have preformed bands and pre-welded brackets, uh, but we only had stainless steel wires, so we had to use loops and gadgets to allow engagement and to soften the blow. So uh, you can imagine something had to change between then and now. Right. But uh, you have to continue to change as new ideas emerge. My staff gave me a plaque many years ago that read, the only constant in our office is change, <laughs> which is so true. It continues to be that way. Yeah. But I would spend time visiting offices of orthodontists that had larger practices in, in other states. And I gained a lot of knowledge just watching what they were doing and how they processed patients in their offices. And this was easy to visualize myself doing the same. But now to the idea of no down payment, that was unique. And that was Dr. Lazara's idea. It allowed a large segment of the population that was not able to afford orthodontic treatment due to a down payment. It was easy to find patients with that going on. Sure. They also liked knowing that they could afford the monthly payment, which we advertised. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't want to get embarrassed coming in the office and not being able to give the child what they need. We accepted insurance assignment as well, which seems everyone does today. But at the time, both the AAO and practice consultants were preaching against doing so. So by accepting assignment, we were able to lower the monthly payment and collect the money faster. 
has seemed second nature to. <laughs> yeah, it's real. It's interesting to hear some of these things that maybe more recent graduates kind of consider to be, you know, the the standard. But you know, as you point out, a lot of these things. Um, were, were not the case. And, and we were able to, you know, you and other people were able kind of to trailblaze some of these advances that I think were more friendly to consumers, but also allowed your practice to grow in a way that maybe, you know, you hadn't considered before. I mean, when you set out, did you ever envision yourself owning all of these orthodontic offices? No, not at all. You know, I just took it a step at a time. Even having a satellite office was unheard of back when I had one because everyone in town would say, what are you, what's he up to? What's, what's he doing there? Because everyone just had a single office. Yeah. And so I just opened an office about 10 miles outside my radius, and, uh, and there was a new crowd of patients out there as well. Right. So now we, uh, there was another th- idea I had back as the practice got busier. Uh, the retention patients tend to fill up your schedule quite a bit. And I was taught to, in school to see the patient at least two years post, post-treatment, as we continue to do so today. Yeah. I tracked the revenue per patient encounter and found that it was about $150 to $200. You can do this by dividing the monthly revenue by the number of all the patients that show up. It's a simple math. Yep. And uh, basically, there's very little additional money involved in uh, treating a patient, minor material cost. So my overhead was about over 50%. So the cost per encounter was over $75. Okay, and I couldn't charge the patient this amount yep. because they they wouldn't pay it <laughs> for retainer checks. No, so um, and the retention appointments took just about as long as an adjustment, and sometimes they took longer. You could not you couldn't gauge that. Right. So I tell the patient to wear the retainer one week all the time, and then just at night. And that kept the teeth straight if they wore it, and it was it was reasonably stable. And I decided to see the patient one time after the braces were removed and take final records, and if they were happy with the results, I would ask that they sign a lifetime guarantee. This simply meant in writing that they, if they noticed any movement in the bathroom mirror to call our office. We would then replace the braces at no charge and simply charge for the months back in braces and a new retainer. No spring retainers were offered after that. <laughs> that, that was a pain in the butt for sure. That's for sure. Only braces. Uh, and it was easier and more predictable to do it this way. And it freed up our schedule for more active paying patients. Yeah, I think that's such a brilliant strategy for retreatment. It's exactly the policy that we use in our office. And I think I got it from Ben Burris, and I think he got it from you. And and I think that it's just such a simple, it's a fair solution. It avoids, like you say, all of the frustration of removable appliances. And it really puts the patient in the driver's seat to decide, you know, how much is this worth it to them? How long do they want to be in retreatment until they're happy and they get them off? So I love that solution for, for retreatment and for retention. Yeah, you know, if they weren't wearing the retainer before, they're probably not going to wear some spring appliance anyway. So exactly. it, it frustrated the parents a lot when you tried treating teeth with a removable appliance because it didn't work half the time. They finally just, they just gave up, you know. And so what I'm hearing is that if they if they were happy, you would see them at that final records visit, one visit after their braces came off, and then they were dismissed from, you know, kind of an active status in your practice at that point. They would de- be dismissed uh, in writing, too, because it's very important that you dismiss your patient. Right. Now, let me talk a minute about past due patients. I think this, that we all have past due patients and how we deal with them. Some people will put them on 
maintenance or, or just kind of treat them for free or whatever, but there's a better way. I found that many that would just continue to wear the braces, and if you press them for money, they would sometimes disappear for months on end. Uh, so I came up with the idea of repossessing the wire. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, that's what I called it. So I'll explain it. They, if they fell 60 days behind in their account, we would simply remove, remove the wires and then discuss the account. Yeah. Removal of the wire is done first, of course. And if they were unable to catch up, we would leave the wire out and make an appointment in 30 days to discuss continuing treatment with payment or removal of the braces at no charge. And you'd be surprised at how many would come back the very next day to catch up. <laughs> it was amazing. It really works, and it really doesn't delay their treatment. You know, I, when, when I'm hearing these, you know, it sounds like you had a lot of ideas and, and you kind of challenged the way that things were done, you know, at the time with some kind of creative solutions. And I'm wondering, you know, were you ever worried or about making changes or, or doing things differently or were there things that you tried and failed? How should orthodontists think about implementing new things in their practice, knowing that, you know, maybe they'll be successful and maybe they'll have to backtrack a little bit? Oh, definitely. I, I think some people just get too comfortable in, in the way things are going. And uh, I think if you can try new ideas, even if you fail, you can move on and uh, find another way. I have to say we did that a lot. <laughs> I've I've noticed that the people that uh, are very successful they've they've got uh, lots of um, you know backtracks lots of um, fine tuning along the way to get to to a place that's successful but if you don't try uh, you know it's hard to grow and it's hard to make any progress that's true very true I want to ask you a little bit about uh, some of the larger I guess we'd call them now corporate style practices that you were involved in uh, with Orthodox Centers of America and. Uh, some of these larger groups. And we're seeing that today a little bit uh, with with kind of roll-up of, of practices. We have these orthodontic you know, DSOs. I'm wondering what were the factors for you that, that kind of led you into that practice model and then ultimately kind of maybe led you out of it? And if you see any similarities or differences between you know, what we're seeing today. Yeah, I think there's a, there is a, a new surge of uh, consolidation going on. Uh, I see dental DMOs, pediatric dental DMOs, and even orthodontic DMOs that are uh, that are springing up kind of quietly. I think they're being uh, backed by private equity firms because they they do see a lot of value in this market. The fact is, residents come out of school nowadays with a lot of debt, so there's a there's a need for them to. Uh, find a job, if you will, and not be able to go into private practice like I did. Right. The other factor is probably half of the residents are female. And uh, I'll have to say that they tend to be less business oriented in, as, a, as a general rule. And they, uh, they like their family and, and uh, balancing that with taking care of the children. So they, they don't mind working for a company as well. Yeah, I mean, I would push back a little bit there and say that I think we do have some uh, people that are clearly, you know, bucking that trend or challenging that, you know, that thought process in terms of female orthodontists. Oh, that's There's true. some out there that are really rocking it. But I do think that newer orthodontists certainly face some pressures that, you know, maybe were a little bit different in terms of debt and, you know, maybe the, the, the lifestyle that, that male and female orthodontists want to pursue. Do you think that these orthodontic, uh, you know, DSOs, do, or even, I guess, dental DSOs, 
you know, is, is this is this a viable long term solution or do these things kind of grow and then kind of go through a period of decline, perhaps, you know, similar to what you, you experience? Is, is there a fatal flaw in that model or, or what's what's going to, in your mind, be the outcome here in five or 10 years? Oh, I think they're here to stay. There's no question about it. I think that consolidation and, uh, and putting the uh, companies together does add efficiencies. So you'll you'll always have the private model, I think, for everyone that wants to go that way. But uh, there's a there's a larger and larger segment that's going to uh, go to the DMO. It seems to me that the big thing in that space is retention of doctors. I mean, if the doctor is constantly turning over then it's going to be hard to maintain any success in the practice. In, in your offices, you know, what, what were you able to do to try to, you know, retain associates and, and keep people engaged and, you know, maintain, uh, the, you know, that continuity of care that's so important to, to patients? You know, you know, I started out uh, very early hiring other professionals. I hired dentists sometimes. I hired orthodontic residents when they had the program at Emory and orthodontists eventually to help me in treating patients. And I would see the patients every third or fourth visit and write down what to do on longer visits. So that allowed me to control the treatment beyond my ability to personally see the patient. And then I finally made a decision to allow other orthodontists to treat patients in my office once the practice got too big for me. And uh, I frowned on treating patients together. That always resulted in longer treatments, and, and confuse the patient and the staff. So I created a central office staff with patient care representatives and, and other administrative staff, and all calls came into one number. And this allowed us to have less staff in the offices so they didn't have to answer phones. And they were answered on time. Right. Much better. Yeah. So the, the staff worked for me, and they were in constant communication about the inner workings of the practices. So we worked on consistency in the feel and look of the offices so that the experience could be as similar as possible. Yeah. So we can change the orthodontist, basically. <laughs> we had written answers to most questions that patients would ask, and they, I asked that they write down everything in the chart so I could, I could follow up. Yeah. I would ask if there were any complaints that I would be notified and I would look into the issues with the patient and the doctor and the staff. By reviewing problems, we were able to make changes and create a better service. Everybody had a different view of what went on at the time. Right. I was big on having written systems and workflows to describe every process in the business. And I stressed staying on time during the day. That, uh, that was very important to the patient. Right. I gave the orthodontist certain restrictions, which included using the same 22-slot bracket, bands and brackets, some the same materials and the same orthopedic appliances, and a limited selection of wires. And this allowed me to better manage the overhead and keep inventory to a minimum. And I used clear stent retainers, which saved a bunch of time, and it was a better retainer. I asked to review any treatment plan that included extractions in the lower arch in a low-angle case, uh, before the extractions, that is. Right. Um, also, impactions or asymmetries or class threes. I felt like I might have a little bit more experience than my young associate. What I love about some of these tips, Pete, that you're telling us here is 
you know, these are challenges that you maybe faced as a large multi-office, multi-doctor practice, but they're also the same challenges that I think anyone faces in their office. You know, how do we communicate effectively? Well, you have scripts, you know. How do we, uh, you know, do kind of routine tasks? Well, we have, we have systems for these things. How do we treat patients? Well, maybe we need to simplify ourselves a little bit clinically. I mean, I think we, you know, as orthodontists, we're kind of guilty as viewing ourselves as artists or virtuosos or whatever it is. And we're constantly kind of jumping from system to system and materials and equipment and philosophies. And then we wonder why our clinical efficiency is terrible and our, and, and our days are maybe more stressful than they need to be. And so I think in all of these things, if we apply a little bit more discipline on ourselves often and provide more tools for our team, uh, systems and scripts and those sorts of things, I think that these sorts of things uh, that you probably had to have in order to function, you know, a smaller office probably can fudge it, but I would argue that their quality of life and their quality of treatment would be better if they could kind of organize their thinking and simplify their thought process simplify, a little bit. Keep it simple, right? Yeah. Well, since I wasn't treating the patient, my requirements for successful treatment included only two things. Number one, a happy patient and a referring dentist at the end of treatment, and two, to finish on time. I think we get bogged down sometimes when patients go beyond treatment time. This actually meant that we would make sure that the patient was happy when the braces came off and that we assured them that if they ever, if the, they are the dentist ever felt like they were unhappy with the results, we would replace the braces at no charge and retreat them to their satisfaction or we would refund their money. That's an important part of it. Right. We would send a letter to the dentist stating any compromises in the original treatment goal so he wouldn't look in the mouth and say, why didn't he fix this? <laughs> so if the patient wanted to continue treatment, I would review the record with the orthodontist and uh, we would decide to charge or treat at no charge with new realistic goals in mind. You know, if you just don't, if you don't have the new goals in mind, you can just treat them until they wear out, basically. Yeah. Keep them in, or, no, I put it, I say orthodontic jail. Keep them in orthodontic jail till they finally give up and say, "Take the damn things off." No. <laughs> that's right, that's right. That's not that's not a happy patient. You know, I think that the overdue or you know treat cases over treatment time, you know, is a problem for a lot of orthodontists. And you know, I agree that you have to have a set. You can't just push the can down the road further. I, you know, it's, I know it's three 30 in the afternoon and you just want to like do something and then get on to the next patient, but there has to be some, you know, like you say, there has to be some reevaluation. There has, the other thing is, is that I, you know, for us at our morning meeting, every single day at the morning meeting, all patients on the schedule that day that are overdue on treatment are identified at the morning meeting. And we come up with a plan for, you know, exactly what we're going to do. We, we pull up their photos that they, because we, we take photos at every visit. So we look at them for the, from the previous visit and, and we have a game plan for how can we finish these patients as soon as possible so that when they come in, we're not surprised. But God, those, that's a problem that you can't push off. You have to attack fairly aggressively, I think, treatment patients over treatment time. I'll tell you a story also that I think is significant uh, about an incident that taught me a lesson in the early 80s. It involved a patient that complained of TMD after limited treatment. At that time, the dental profession thought that orthodontics caused TMD. Believe that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he wanted his $2,000 refunded, and I refused. I didn't feel like I did anything wrong. And as a result, I was asked to appear before the Georgia Board of Dentistry and was placed on probation for 18 months. Wow. 
and was required to pay $4,000 for his retreatment by another orthodontist. Now, you don't need that lesson. Since that date, if a patient complained, I was prepared to retreat at no charge or refund the money. And I'd highly recommend that anyone listening do the same. Yeah, that man, that was a that was a hard lesson to learn. I'm, I, I can only imagine. I that's definitely an eye opener for sure. Oh, it was terrible. Yeah, I, you know, and, <laughs> and that's the sort of situation. Once you, you know, once you're in it, you know, you would gladly pay that money to get out of it. Um, yeah, right. Yeah, you got to catch. That's hard to catch that on the front end. But uh, wow, that, that's that's a fantastic story. So. Let's change gears here a little bit and talk about um, the Georgia School of Orthodontics. I know this is a new program that you're involved with. I think a lot of people have um, some questions about and uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, your involvement there and, and the program and, and how it's working. Well, I, my goal, my uh, role in the school is more of a consultant nowadays. I'm, I'm not treating patients, but the program is in Atlanta. It started in 2016 and accepts uh, 18 residents a year. It's a three-year program and will be accredited this spring. The program is headed up by Dr. Ricky Harrell from the University of Colorado. They're in the MATS program and they have a large pool of applicants every year. And they have two campuses, each with 20 chair clinics on the north side of town. And the program is all digital. They don't have hardly a piece of paper in the office. That's cool. Uh, they teach MBT, Invisalign, TADS, orthognathic surgery, and several functional appliances. And the students have large lecture halls, a nice size lounge. Most of you didn't, don't remember having anything like that. <laughs> and a nice private research area. They also have a call center and start about 200 cases a month, and they're growing still. Wow. They basically offer about a $3,600 two-year treatment uh, and a short treatment for, for phase one. Right, right. You know, what, what advice uh, do you give, you know, residents that are, you know, in your program or that, that you've encountered? You know, I know that we have now the Georgia School of Orthodontics is, is not unlike other programs that charge a lot of tuition. You know, what advice do you have for new graduates that are getting out and, and kind of facing that debt load? That's a good question. You know, I, I, uh, I see them teaching and learning uh, in, the, in the classroom there, and they, they're trying to grab everything they can and, and try to put it in a box, try to find out the secret of orthodontics. You know, we, <laughs> if when we graduate, we're finally going to tell us. Uh, but it really does take five or more years to actually get comfortable, I think, in, in what we're doing. Um, I would remind the young orthodontists that contrary to what they learned in school, that orthodontics is a want and not a need. So when they come in and say, do I need braces? I, yeah, I would say, you know, I guess no one really needs braces, but uh, if you want them, uh, we can do something. It's primary co primarily a cosmetic procedure. Don't get hung up on achieving class one molars. Focus on facial balance and the smile first. And straighten the teeth in the front perfectly. That's where the money is. That's, <laughs> what, they, that's what they pay for. That's true. Don't stop learning. Take postgraduate courses in early treatment sleep disturbed breathing, and uh, clear aligner therapy. I won't say Invisalign nowadays because there's a lot of other choices. Sure. I would suggest if they go into private practice that they start out offering a no-down no down payment plan with extending payments 
until they have enough cash flow to pay the bills. And I'd reduce the fees about 20% as well until that happened. You, you just need to get some volume going and you need to get the new kid on the block. You can't charge what the, what the rest of the guys do. Right. And this is kind of unusual, but I would recommend that you see the patient at age four for the first visit. Oh, wow. Now, you may not do anything but take photos, but you can build a relationship. And someday, I think you're going to find that problems are already there to be intercepted. Take a tip from the, from the pediatric dentists that are promoting a dental home for the child at age one or when the first tooth erupts. Now, do you think they're actually doing anything? <laughs> they're building a relationship. That's true. It's very true. I would tell them to treatment plan for compromises and then shoot for perfection. People will accept your treatment if you tell them up front. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Keep the treatment in about 24 to 30 months if possible. And I'd say keep your exam and consultation to five minutes at the most cases. And ask your TC for advice in your presentation so you work as a team. She can tell you a lot if you just ask. Yeah, that's, that's true. I've, I've gotten some very good coaching from my treatment coordinator. Yeah. I love those tips. There's so much in there. All those little things would be so valuable to someone starting out or to someone who's maybe been in practice a while. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot that I think uh, we can learn from all of those. What about practice models? Do you think that, you know, someone coming out of school, you know, should they think, oh, I'm going to, you know, start a practice and I'm going to grow it to 10 locations, 23 locations. Um, you know, is that something you would encourage someone to do or would you tell them, you know, go work for a DSO and let them take care of those problems? What, what do you think would make someone uh, successful and, and happy in their career in orthodontics in 2018? I tell you today, I think I would suggest you go work with DMO and, and get your feet wet, make your mistakes, and then you can leave that practice and go set up one that you can start anew. I think it's a great time for orthodontics. The population is growing faster than the increase in the, in the number of orthodontists. And if you want to do what I did, just work 12 hours a day for 20 years or more and pour all your money back into your practice. <laughs> uh, I, I think there's probably a better way. Just decide what you feel is comfortable in size and provide quality care. At the same time, make a plan to be financially independent and invest your money conservatively in a variety of asset classes. And after that point, just work for fun. Yep. It's a wonderful profession, and you should have fun doing it. I love that. I love that. I think that's great. Well, Pete, we're going to finish this with uh, our Elevate Express 8. I'm going to ask you eight quick questions and get some uh, quick answers from you. How's that sound? Okay, let's try it. All right. What was your go-to treatment for full-step class 2 patients? Low angle the Hurst. I tried to do an advancement if I could to try to minimize the, the uh, overjet so I could, wouldn't have to push the teeth back as much. What was your standard retention protocol? I think you mentioned this vacuum form type retainers. Yeah, basically a, a stint retainer. I think it's the cheapest and the quickest and the, the best way to retain teeth, particularly the anterior teeth. And, and the teeth will settle. Who are your role models or mentors, someone who's influenced you in your practice or your life? Well, I would have to say... Bob Ricketts probably was early on an uh, uh, outstanding individual who was way ahead of his time. And my dad, of course, he was a dentist. He taught me to work hard and, and uh, do a good job. Great. 
What is your favorite orthodontic product or instrument, something that you never wanted to be without when you were in practice? Uh, I would probably be a uh, light wire plier, just something that I could bend loops and, and, and circles and anything I wanted to. Great. What's the best vacation you've ever taken? Hmm. Been a lot of places. I would say the uh, Caribbean. Uh-huh. I like the Caribbean waters and, the, and sailing in the Caribbean. Okay. Great. Great. What's one great book that you've read recently? I just read a book, uh, just finished it, and I, I really liked it a lot. It's called Chasing Daylight. And it's a kind of a strange subject, but it said, How My Forthcoming Death Transformed My Life by Eugene O'Kelly. And uh, it gave a lot of insight into uh, preparing your death uh, before you get in a situation where you're in a hurry, if you will, huh. or if it were to be sudden. So I would, uh, I found a lot of interest in that. Uh, being uh, 77 years old, too, maybe that tweaked my interest as well. And uh, so I, I got a lot out of that. Great. What bracket system uh, did you use in practice? I started out with uh, Ricketts and BT at the end with a uh, 22 slot bracket and pretty much stayed with that the full, the full time I was in practice. Okay. And is there an area of orthodontics that you would like to learn more about? Something that's interesting to you here in 2018? Oh, for sure. Uh, CBCT is just fascinating to me. Looking at the transverse dimension, which we haven't been able to do, just opens, I think, a, a whole new area of diagnosis and treatment planning and uh, Sean, uh, Sean Carlson is doing a lot of good work there, which I, I look forward to seeing what comes of that. Well, Dr. Pickeron, this has been a fantastic, I've had a great time interviewing you and I know our listeners are just, I, mean, I hope they were taking notes because you, you, know, you dropped a lot of uh, great tips and pearls on them here. Is there anything else you'd like to kind of share with our audience before we sign off? Well, you know, if they have any questions about what I said, I, Sometimes it's a little unclear, but if they want to send me a, a note on my blog, I have a, the Pickering Orthodontic blog, which I have a few members, and, uh, and sometimes I'll speak to that forum as well. So yeah, that would be a good way to, to, uh, to ask a question and get an answer. Great, great. Yeah, I'm a member of that, of a Facebook group, you know, as well, where you yeah. can go on and, uh, and, and then you post some things from time to time there that, that I always pay close attention to. So thank you. I want to thank you again for, uh, for your time today. It was, it was a pleasure. Uh, have a great one, and we'll talk again soon. Great. Thank you, Lance. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode. 